Got no sleigh with reindeer No sack on my back You're gonna see me coming In a big black Cadillac Oh, it's Christmas time, pretty baby From the Mid-South Van Studio in Hernando, Mississippi, Rooster Production presents Under the Water Tower, sponsored by Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. And now, here are your hosts, Derek Biglane and Matt Crane. Morning, Matt. Morning, Derek. So, what have you been up to since our Tuesday show? This Saturday, December 19th, we're having our 10th annual Santa Claus Caravan put on by the crew of Hernando. And what goes along with that is a Thursday night meeting uh, each and every December where the guys come together. Typically, Derek, we're talking about the Mardi Gras ball uh, for a while, talking about updates on that. Uh, This year, sadly, we will not be having the Mardi Gras ball. Uh, Maybe our first time saying that on the podcast. So just an FYI to all of our listeners that like to attend the party and so forth. Uh, We have have voted uh, to not um, have that party this year coming up in February, but maybe next year we can have a, a party and have a really good time. But the, the December meeting is typically talking about the Mardi Gras ball. And then Derek, we turn our sights on Santa Claus caravan and wrapping what seems like, what seems like thousands. It ends up being a hundreds, hundreds of uh, a gifts uh, that neighborhoods all across Hernando have graciously purchased uh, for needy families that we get from the Hernando school district, uh, get from those counselors, families that just are need some help uh, families uh, in need of a good Christmas and, and and we've been able to do that uh, the last decade. Derek, it's just been a fun time. Podcast listeners, just to set the scene, at the Hernando Golf and Racket Club, you look up and you've got dozens of guys, uh, Derek, that I would probably say don't wrap a lot of gifts. No. Um, <laughs> they don't wrap a lot of gifts, but they end up uh, wrapping what seems like hundreds of, of gifts. Basically, if there's a basketball or, or, a, or a bowling ball or baseball or anything like that, it's gonna you'll know the shape of it. <laughs> By the, by the way it's wrapped. It's pretty neat, but still, it's an awesome experience to watch those guys wrap for uh, for needy families. Uh, and again, thank you to the neighborhoods, especially, Derek, a quick shout-out to the Hernando Young Women's Club that absolutely stepped up and did a great job for a family. So whatever family was drawn by the Hernando Young Women's Club is going to have one heck of a good Christmas. I agree. Uh, it was a great time last night. I'm glad we got everything done. The trailer, Santa's trailer, Santa's sled, is uh Loaded up, ready to go. Uh, Going to meet those families uh, on Saturday. Of course, the parade is Saturday from 9 to 12. Uh, if you're in the area, if you're listening, please come out. Uh, the route is on the Crew of Hernando Facebook page, so please go there. Please find the route. Uh, it will start about 9 a.m. Uh, go down Mackinville and enter Heritage Oaks uh, subdivision first, and then go from there. So if you're looking at the at the map uh, on the Crew of Fernando Facebook page, follow it from Longview Point Church down Mackinville to Heritage Oaks, and then you can kind of follow the route from there. So really looking forward to that. Uh, we should be going for about two to two and a half hours. So kind of come in. If you hear sirens, if you hear fire trucks, if you see cars with flashing lights, and just uh, really excited to spread the Christmas cheer, throwing candy, throwing beads. Please feel free to stand uh, in in your yard. Please come outside uh, or stand on you know in public places on the side as we pass by to be able just to allow, allow us to tell you Merry Christmas, to tell you thank you for all the donations you gave to the families uh, in Hernando. You know, hopefully that all of y'all have a, a wonderful and, and Merry Christmas this year. Yeah, and just a reminder, there is a forecast possibly for some rain on Saturday. It is a rain or shine event. Please, if it's not raining, uh, come out and take a look at things in your driveway. Pay attention on the sidewalk and, and, and we'd love to wish you a Merry Christmas. And again, Santa Claus will be there. He will be the, uh, the tail end there on a fire truck for our 10th annual Crew of Hernando Santa Claus Caravan. So thank you again Hernando for absolutely uh, stepping up for these uh, nine or ten families uh, and being a, a special thing. Derek going to be going to a lot of different neighborhoods this coming Saturday. If you'd potentially like to live in one of those neighborhoods or possibly uh, look for a house in one of those, please reach out to our presenting sponsor, Team Couch of Birch Realty Group. 
Team Couch possesses over 63 years of combined real estate experience right here in the Mid-South. They have over 25,000 closings since 2009, both on the buying and selling side of residential real estate. Whether you're buying or selling a home, Brian and Terry are full-time, full-service realtors, which means they are available when you need them. They don't only work on the weekends or only work at night or only work in the mornings. They're a full-time, full-service real estate team. Give them a call at 662-449-1700. That's 662-449-1700. Podcast recorded each and every Tuesday and Friday morning at the Mobile Car and Van Rental Studio located at the corner of McCracken and Commerce right here in Hernando. Derek, as I mentioned to you on Tuesday, a number of people have reached out regarding Christmas lights and viewing Christmas lights, opportunities to get around with their families over the holidays. Uh, We'd love to serve you there. Uh, We actually kind of run out of vans uh, at this particular time, uh, but certainly if you have anything coming up in January, any kind of needs that that we could help with, please reach out to Mobile Van and Car Rentals at 662-469-4555. That's 662-469. Four six nine four five five five. So we have a wonderful interview coming up at the end of the show. Uh, the sports, I guess, portion of the show will be a limited to just that interview. The interview is over 30 minutes long. Uh, it's some great information, so we want to make sure that we give the full amount of time to allow that to happen. Uh, and so we just thank those guys for coming in. Uh, you'll hear more with Matt's uh, interview at the end. Uh, because of that, uh, we're going to go right into the uh, Alderman meetings that happened on Tuesday night. Uh, we previewed those uh, during our Tuesday podcast, and we thought we were going to have a, probably a lengthy discussion on this well some of that um, was unfortunately uh, had to be tabled uh, everything in the Hernando Alderman meeting anything dealing with planning uh, anything dealing with uh, anything looking to be approved in the, uh, through the planning or questioning uh, we talked a lot about the sign ordinance on Tuesday uh, which obviously falls under the uh, planning director's um, spot well that, that was all tabled uh, out of um, I guess uh, unfortunately memory uh, condolences uh, to Keith Briley, uh, the planning commissioner uh, for Hernando, uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, since we recorded early Tuesday morning, uh, he passed away on, on Monday, and a lot, not a lot had gotten out. The city had not even announced it. I don't, I don't even think they had uh, formally announced it till Wednesday. They were waiting for the family to obviously deal with it and then make arrangements and then be able to get those arrangements out. So we just want to uh, say our you know condolences, and we offer up our prayers uh, to the Brawley family. And just, you know, he uh, served a long time. He was in Germantown. He worked in Germantown and Horn Lake and then now in Hernando. And I know there's a lot of people in a lot of cities that he touched. Uh, and that he was one of the key portions, of course, in getting things done in Hernando. And uh, we just, you know, had no idea. And uh, we apologize for talking about that on Tuesday now that we know what had happened. And uh, we just, um, again, uh, everything that I will discuss uh, that happened during the Audubon meeting, uh, those uh, items have all been tabled due to his passing. Yeah, Derek, just a really sad situation, uh, obviously for the family, of course, but then also the planning department kind of reeling from this uh, a bit, trying to figure out kind of a direction to go with this. Just a very sad situation. But again, you know, again, we were unaware of that when we recorded our show on Tuesday morning. Uh, our condolences certainly go out to the family and the planning department uh, in Hernando. So everything that they were kind of going to talk about on Tuesday, uh, they, they did not talk about. They, they put on a shelf and, and we'll pick it up next month in 2021 uh, in January. But we did talk about or it seemed like it was going to be a pretty short meeting with the uh, planning uh, department or the planning issues uh, that kind of got put up. Uh, but Derek, it, it, it changed a little bit different. It, they, they Towards the end of the meeting, they said, hey, I'd like to talk about three different things. Tell us about 
about the first one? I want to clarify that the, the items that are being tabled, the first one, of course, is the changing of the C2 to M1 odd industrial. This is the 120 Christopher Lane up there on just off of Highway 51 that faces the interstate. Uh, that has been tabled now till January 19th of 2021. The uh, talk about the Madison Lakes PUD, the water issue, kind of dealing with the city, that has been tabled until February 16th of 2021. And then the sign ordinance, which was the last uh, part of the agenda that it would have to do with the planning director, has been tabled. Uh, just We don't know. There has not been uh, discussion if that was going to be added to the next uh, meeting. So again, once that's done, we will look at those at those times. But yes, you're right, Matt. As they went through, you know, it was a very short meeting, I think. They wrapped up pretty much everything, the consent agenda, uh, within about 15 minutes. But at the beginning of the meeting, there were two aldermen who added three items to the agenda that were not on the uh, agenda that was posted online. The first one was the ald, uh, the Ward 5 alderman. Uh, she was looking to, she wanted to know about the CARES money. You know, CARES money, C-A-R-E-S, this is uh, the act or the, or the the funding that the federal government has given out uh, that was related to COVID. Uh, they reached out to all the states and provided the states with money to deal with COVID as part of the CARES Act. The state of Mississippi received that and then delved it up between the uh, all the cities. And Hernando's portion of that was $330,000. Now, she became aware that, that Hernando had received the $330,000, but was not told by the mayor or anybody else with the city. Uh, the money was received sometime in November. Uh, it was put in the contingency fund uh, of the general fund. Uh, obviously, the money has not been spent. It has not been put anywhere else. It is sitting in the contingency fund to be discussed at a later time. The board was not notified uh, about it. They are notified now. It is now on the agenda for January 5th to discuss kind of what's going to happen with that $330,000 and the best use of that, or maybe it just remains the contingency fund, but they, they want the right and be able to talk about that. So that has been added. Uh, these are something that uh, all cities were able to apply for. Now, not, not all cities did, but they could apply for it. And of course, this is from the federal government to the state and then the state, of course, dishing out to the locals. So that was uh, the first topic that will now be further discussed on January 5th. So she wasn't accusing anybody of anything or whatever. She was just uh, saying, hey, wouldn't that be something that y'all might should have let the Board of Aldermen know that this money had come in. I mean, that's, that's, she wanted to get on record, and she also wanted to make sure. Uh, actually, I think the Ward 6 Alderman was the one that said to make sure it was on the next agenda to discuss. And just so a grant. Be. It's a grant, not a not a loan right. or anything that's like that. A grant. grant from the federal government to assist in COVID issues. Uh, and, for, and most mainly for the personnel expenses due okay. to COVID. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, I mean, looking forward to what uh, $330,000 uh, can be put to good use in a certain way, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, might would have been good to send that out to them and let them know, but it is what it is. Well, I mean, as, as long as it's sitting there, as long as it shows the contingency fund, sure. that they'll deal with it next month. Right, it was put somewhere that's safe and, and everything. All right, the next thing, uh, the Ward 2 alderman uh, added uh, a couple of, of items. So uh, the Ward 5 alderman added that as an extra topic. And then the Ward 2 added uh, two more topics, the first being a salary review. Uh, he wanted to uh, request a salary review to be at the next meeting of the mayor, department heads, assistants. So the mayor, the department head, and the assistants that work for the city to be able to do that, uh, to see what their salary has been, have been over the last five years, and then to take that and then do a projection for the rest of 2021 year, the 20 to 2020 to 2021 year, uh, with a 2% increase. So kind of wanted to see what that would look like to the budget. So it sounds like he may be advocating for a raise for uh, department heads uh, for assistance in the mayor. Uh, the ward for aldermen then asked about aldermen to see about the aldermen also being included uh, in that salary review. There was a, a little back and forth of, about that and see if aldermen were trying to give themselves raises, uh, but it was not that. Uh, the ward for aldermen uh, let it be known that he would be not be running next year. And so 
the it was not that a case at all. It was just, you know, if you're going to have everybody else that's basically in and around City Hall, why not also include the alderman? And so that was made uh, part of the, the motion was to include that. And so a salary review report will be also be included uh, during the January 5th meeting. Uh, of 2021. A salary review is something fairly easy for a municipality to do. They just look at what the salaries are. Salaries are and, it's a simple and, spreadsheet. Right, simple spreadsheet. And then he's like, all right, what does that look like if we raise it by 2% and how does that affect the, the budget going forward? So, I mean, I'm not going to I'd love to know when the last, uh, you know, raises were and those type things. I mean, if we're if we're if it's time for that, you know, I think most of us, uh, most of our listeners would would be okay with that as well. And I think that's what probably what it's going to go for. Sure. Now that you know that you have three hundred thirty thousand, uh, that may also be, come into play as part of that talk too. Uh, the last uh, item he added was um, he wanted to see a study done on the Dilworth Lane improvements. Uh, under the tunnel, basically connecting Dilworth Lane uh, to the other side of 55. Uh, and the specific purpose for this study is to see if we can get, we being the city, can get it, I guess, uh, either re-engineered to allow children to walk from one side of the tunnel to the other without getting their feet wet. If you've ever been in the tunnel, if you've ever ran through there, if you've ridden a bike or if you've walked to school yourself, you know that it holds water pretty much 24, 365. Really need to have something done about that, especially in the lighting's bad, but also it's just you know constantly damp and wet in there. And so he would like to study done uh, to see if there's a way to basically re-engineer that to allow for better drainage uh, so the water can get out of there and to allow the, the the students who do need to walk, you know, to be able to get from one side to the other uh, without having to, uh, you know, again, walk with their feet wet, get their, get their shoes messed up, which I think is a great thing. Uh, but then one of the aldermen of War 4 also wanted to make sure that they included in that what would MDOT require or what would have to be approved by MDOT because obviously it's going under 55 and how would that come into play as part of the study. So I don't, I can't remember if he asked uh, to have that on the January 5th also, but I'm sure it will be coming up in the next two meetings. You know, Derek, a quick shout out from me to the War II Alderman. Absolutely love that he brought this up. Uh, the tunnel, my daughter, about 60 days ago, I think I told you that, about 60 days ago, she saw the tunnel uh, when we were picking up my son and just wanted to go through it. Well, one day we did. Uh, two things, Derek. Uh, I had to put her on my back about uh, 10 feet into the tunnel because it was completely wet, uh, puddles, you could barely walk. And then, Derek, something else, and maybe I could talk with the War II Alderman about the amount of graffiti and language on the side of the tunnel. Let's just say I'm a 42-year-old guy and, and not approved by any any mean, but very uncomfortable. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. So uh, while we fix the drainage and fix the water, we might want to work on the language as well. Maybe that's something the crew of Fernando can help with or, or be a project, a uh, service project mm -hmm. coming up. You know, just like a that. thought right there. But um, yeah, shout out to the War II Alderman for that. I couldn't agree more. The Dilworth Tunnel is something that's bugged me for a while now. And a uh, great job by him, at least presenting that, asking those questions. And maybe 2021 could make that tunnel look a whole lot different. I like it. But kind of wraps up where we are in Hernando. And so now we'll look north. The other Alderman meeting that we cover every couple weeks on this podcast is the South Haven, the South Haven Board of Alderman meeting. It also is at, on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock, excuse me, first and third Tuesdays at 6 o'clock. Oh, if you remember on Tuesday, we kind of uh, briefly mentioned a, a subdivision that was being approved, uh, the expansion of Siwa Square, and then anything that the mayor's report would cover. And that's basically uh, what we have for you today. The uh, application for the pinnacle development uh, and construction to rezone the 29 acres property on the north side of Star Landing Road, west of Marshall Louise Drive, was approved to go from agriculture to PUD. Uh, so this is uh, basically taking it from ag land to a PUD, a plan unit development, uh, which is a, a basically a, a subdivision. And so 
part as part of that, they went ahead and also, which was item number two, uh, approved the first phase of that subdivision that would be in that PUD. Uh, the subdivision will be called Grayson Creek Subdivision. Again, this is on the north side of Star Landing Road, uh, basically in front of and just to the east of Lakes of Nicholas. This The phase one will include 19 of the 29 acres. Uh, the lots will be about 22,000 square foot lots. Uh, so just about a half an acre a lot uh, each. Uh, it will be in two phases, as I just mentioned. The minimum square foot housing will be 2,300 square foot minimums, but mainly most of the plans that have been presented to the city are in the 24 to 2,500 square foot, uh, but 2,300 is the square foot minimum. And you're going to have about two to 2.2 houses per acre. So again, just at or just under half acre lot. So again, nice subdivision that was approved, pinnacle development. Uh, and so again, there were no, really no discussion, no objections uh, passed unanimously. So congratulations to South Haven for getting another subdivision and for the county itself because inventory lots are very low. And so this will uh, open up some more new construction, new housing for those that are looking to move to DeSoto County. South Haven continues to explode. Yep, continue to go. <laughs> and that brings us to the next one. Yeah, here we go. Uh, lifestyle communities uh, was asking to amend the existing silo square PUD to incorporate an additional 81 acres of property north of May Boulevard on the west side of Getwell Road. This was approved, but went into more detail about what was included. So it was approved. Again, there was really very little discussion, no objections, passed unanimously. And here's what is going to be going in this next 81 acre. They're going to add one additional commercial out parcel on Getwell. So just north of Slim Chickens, you'll have another commercial probably maybe a restaurant maybe something similar right there it'll it'll be something you can get to off of get well off of get well yes uh they're going to add more offices so kind of continuing that square look that they have they're going to wrap it around going north uh adding more offices they're going to add a designated farmer's market and dog park will be added in in that 81 acres Uh, and then finally uh they'll adding five sections of the cottage homes so if you've gone if you've driven through silo square gone around the uh the circle that you kind of take you to where the homes are you'll see kind of what those homes look like where they're going to add five more sections of that uh heading north so again just the project continues to just absolutely grow at a phenomenal rate Uh, and so congratulations again to brian hill to lifestyle communities and to the city of south haven and look some of you listeners may ask like why do you guys cover south haven or why do you talk about this this is uh it's so far the east side of south haven that it's really close to olive branch as well and you know the Getwell corridor right there is really becoming the central part of desoto county i mean it's exploding you know snowden grove and the soccer field something else we're going to talk about in just a minute you know the growth of that i mean brian hill and those guys over there silo square is one heck of a development and it's going to be a major part of desoto county uh for 25 to 30 years so just amazing great job by them and the city continues to kind of have their back and, and move forward with those things but a lot of i mean think about it people office spaces office buildings that maybe are in memphis now uh, may come down and all of the that's that's tax money tax revenue that's uh, fuel grocery stores all that kind of stuff uh, for people in the area so great job by them again this is an entertainment district that's you know 10 minutes away for those that live in hernando 10 sure. to 15 minutes exactly you don't have to go 30 35 minutes right uh, so i think and again every every dollar that you spend there the portion of that comes back to us right uh as mississippi you know taxpayers not going to memphis or tennessee right. uh, so I mean, muscle white said it spend your money at silo square not overton square right and that leads us to, as you said why is you know kind of how does that affect uh, us under the water tower well the main artery to get there is get well road and as the mayor's report, he starts off talking about the Getwell South Widening Project. Uh, this has been uh, basically in process for five years. It is now on the board. It will start in summer of 2021. 
They will look to widen. Now, I don't know if widen means four or five lanes, but it will widen from Church Road down to Star Landing Road. Will be So basically what you see going from Church to Goodman will be taken all the way to Star Landing, which everybody that's listening to this, whether you live in South Haven, live in Olive Branch, live in Hernando, all we can all agree this needs to be done. Sure. Uh, it absolutely backs up. There's a stoplight right there at college, which just, you know, it's, it's absolutely miserable. Star Landing now has a stoplight. So you've got back-to-back stoplights with a school in between. This has to be done. And so this will be widened starting in mid-2021. So that is now on the, on the, on the board, and not even the drawing board. It's on the board set to start uh, next summer. So that I think that's gonna be, it's going to be painful for six to 12 months, but once it's finished, it'll be a, a blessing for everybody. In the next 15 years, it'll be five lanes from 69 all the way to Goodman. That's coming. Right. Well, yeah. and he South Haven that. and Hernando have to work together at some point, but that's coming between 69 all the way to Goodman will be five lanes. Well, and so it's counting from Star Landing to Pleasant Hill, right. and then from Pleasant Hill to 69 is Hernando. Yeah. So, yeah. All three are going to have to take it up. He mentioned that. He yep. mentioned about DeSoto County starting on their part. And then, of course, once it gets down to Pleasant Hill and that awful, awful stop sign, then, you know, it'll be up to Hernando to get it to 69. So, yep. anyway, it's, it's coming down, but that, that's good for everybody. The next project he mentioned was fire station number five. The city will be adding a fifth fire station to the city. Go out to bid in the next 10 days. It will sit in the S-curve. Uh, on Star Landing Road. Uh, this has been talked about for several years. Actually, it was supposed to be started about 10 to 12 years ago, but had to be shelved due to the housing crisis, the loss of revenue. Basically, the houses not being built in that area, so there was no longer a need. Well, now we literally just had a subdivision approved that would be very close to this fire station, so that is the need. It's going to uh, raise the level of the um, South Haven Fire Code to a level two, which would be the highest of a city its size in Mississippi. Wow. So the mayor is pretty excited about that. So looking forward to uh, that fire station number five being put to bid and started sometime in 2021. Just awesome. I mean, again, forward thinking, a lot of the stuff. I mean, we talk about projects and everything, but some of the, the things municipality-wise that we don't think about, uh, having a level two fire station and being the only one in the state of Mississippi, is definitely something to hang your hat on. Great job by the mayor and the city. All right, uh, the next, soccer field update. Uh, the side is down. It is in time for the winter to be able to set, so that will be great news for the, the tournaments that they have already set in April. The pavilion is also on schedule, and they tested the lights out just this past weekend, and they are functional. So they are well on their way to having those ready uh, for April. Have you uh, seen them? Oh, yeah, they're fantastic. All right, so, yeah, so Wilson's playing indoor soccer up at the uh, – Bankworth South Center, Bank Plus. Bank Plus Center. Bank Plus. Uh, sorry, a little shout out to Bankworth South. Uh, Bank Plus Center up there. And we drove, I drive by it every time I go by there just to see what more they've done. Great job. I mean, I'm sorry. I know it's a little bit of a uh, South Haven pat on the back <laughs> show right now, uh, but just, they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. Great really, job. Really nice. And then yes. uh, as part of that, that was also part of the, uh, the $5 million that was spent over there. Uh, they're increasing, I mean, excuse me, they're replacing the uh, dirt with the turf. We've talked about that on here before. The, on the baseball fields, that will be completed by February. Uh, the mayor estimates that it will save $500,000 a year in maintenance from not having to cut the infields, to add dirt to the infields, to stripe the infields for tournaments. Yep. All, that, all that maintenance that had to be done with that from basically March to October of every year, well, now it's, it's just painted uh, field turf. And so you don't have to worry about that anymore. And he expects it to save $500,000 a year where well, you can do the math. The $5 million that was spent on both projects can now be recouped in 10 years. Right. Uh, just, just from that savings alone. So, again, great idea. Uh, this will allow them to hold tournaments, rain or shine, keep the tax people from having to cancel tournaments, keep people staying in hotels even when it's raining. Great move. Well, at least we know now the gentlemen, the guys that used to stripe the uh, field and cut the grass, that's where the South Haven Cares money went. <laughs> 
that could be. Just, he, just he, a he did thought. not mention his portion of the thought, Yeah, he didn't mention it, but I'm just simply saying, uh, sorry, guys, you're no longer going to mow the grass, but uh, we'll take care of you for a little time with the CARES money. So certainly joking, but again, Derek, wow. Just, I, I mean, soccer fields, baseball fields. Uh, how long ago did the city of South Haven do the pennies for the parks? Well, it might have been right around the – I'm going to say 10 years. It's been Okay, so let's years. say they've had it for a decade. Yeah. So for a decade, City of South Haven did – they went ahead and followed through and, and, and pushed through the pennies for the parks, give or take eight years. Give or take. Let's just say 2012. That's fair. That's okay. Fair. So let's say eight years. They moved forward with this. So what, Derek? Uh, a penny or a portion of every meal or every eating out in the City of South Haven? It, it was uh, 2%. Okay, so 2% of every meal at a McDonald's, a, chi- a Slim Chickens, a Chick-fil-A, the things we joke around about, are going towards the parks for uh, City of South Haven. And in the same breath, we're talking about soccer fields. We're talking about baseball fields. We're talking about just – I mean, it <laughs> – Well, I mean, it's, it's – They're using it their money right. Thing. Yes. And, and, yeah, and it's only on entertainment, food, hotels, yes. that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, the, some call it a tourism tax. Some call it a for the parks. You can call it what you want. It's, it's a tax. But that is all going to fund into this fund that's allowing them to be able to do these things. It's allowing them to have world-class facilities to host baseball tournaments, soccer tournaments, uh, et cetera. So great job again by the city of South Haven and the mayor. I feel bad because I'm just, you know, the, the city of the, the mayor's not sitting here with us, even though I feel like he is because I continue to congratulate the, uh, the city of South Haven. And the last thing uh, that he updated during his mayor's report, which would be the last, I guess, item we talk about uh, in regards to this, was the Southern Lights. He updated that again. Now, if you remember the first weekend we talked about it, they had $3,000 more than they had the first weekend, you know, the Thanksgiving weekend uh, of 2019. Well, he reported on Tuesday that through Tuesday, they had already received more than they had received through the entire year for 2019. And that is with 16 days left. Now, it's important to remember the city receives zero funds for this. Yes. Uh, all, these are all worked by different charities, have a different night. So, you know, it could be the Rotary Club, Lions Club. It could be the um, House of Grace. Some people like that come out. They volunteer. They work it. And all the proceeds for each night go to a different charity. Uh, but the, the charities combined had already raised more through Tuesday than they had for all of 2019, again, with over two weeks left. Just incredible. People want to get out. People want to experience Christmas, and and the city has provided them a way to do so. And, Derek, we started the show talking about uh, how giving Hernando had been. Um, DeSoto County is an amazing place. DeSoto County is a very giving area, a very giving place. We have some amazing nonprofits and churches that work really hard to uh, – to, to do different things in the area. So just shout out to everybody in DeSoto County, anybody that's gone to Southern Light so far, congratulations to them. And, man, 16 days left, uh, and we've already passed the amount given. Just an awesome uh, awesome opportunity and awesome thing uh, going on up there. So, Derek, you know, Derek, speaking of get well. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Do you know a family that would like to know more about DeSoto County's oldest, largest, and most desirable Christian school? Invite them to come see what makes North Point a distinctively Christian college and prep experience. Join us for a totally safe and socially distanced admissions event where you will be welcomed by our administration and given time with faculty associated with the age and school stage of your student. We will also provide a tour of our buildings and grounds and make sure you get to connect with Ms. Sheila Sharon, our Director of Admissions, in case you need one-on-one time to ask questions specific to your student. We are now enrolling students in grades PK through 12 for the 2021-2022 school year. Come see why families across the Mid-South and DeSoto County are joining our NCS family. Reserve your spot today by making a reservation with our administration director, Sheila Sharon, at 662-349-5127. Again, Sheila Sharon at 662-349-5127. 
and North Point Christian School wishes a Merry Christmas to all the UTW listeners. Podcast also brought to you by The Printhouse, located right behind Funderburk's Pharmacy on Commerce Street in Hernando. The Printhouse is your one-stop shop for printing services. Whether it's business cards, banners, screen printing for t-shirts, as well as a showroom full of all your vinyl and t-shirt needs, the ladies at The Printhouse can help. Simply give them a call at 662-298-3105. That's 662-298-3105. Or find them at theprinthousems.com. That's theprinthousems.com. You know, Derek, earlier in this week, we joked around about when you and I were putting out Santa Claus Caravan signs on Sunday that we noticed hundreds, maybe even thousands of houses still struggling with leaves. If you want your house to look perfect for your family uh, coming into town, out-of-town family or local uh, family this Christmas, please reach out to William Services. William Services is a veteran-owned and operated business with years of experience in lawn care, landscaping, mulching, and more. Owner Richard Williams and his team can assist you with a multitude of outdoor home needs, including leaf removal, cleanup, flower bed updating, anything you'd like for this coming Christmas or in the next week. Give Richard a call at 662-292-8855. That's 662-292-8855. Or find him on Facebook at Williams Lawn Services. That's Facebook at Williams Lawn Services. We talked earlier about how what an amazing day it was going to, it was on Monday in the state of Mississippi battling the coronavirus. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccinations had begun with uh Mr. what's what's the doctor's name? Dobbs, Dr. Dr. Dobbs, Dr. Dobbs the uh, person directing the COVID-19 battle in the state of Mississippi was the first person in the state to receive the vaccine. The first hospital in the Baptist Health System right here in the, in the Mid-South, Baptist DeSoto. Give us some update on them. Baptist uh, Hospital DeSoto was the first to receive the vaccine uh, in the Baptist system on Monday. So well, obviously we knew we received it. We knew it was in the state of Mississippi on Monday. Baptist DeSoto was one of the first to receive it and the first of the Baptist system to receive it, followed by Jonesboro, which received it that afternoon, the Baptist in Jonesboro. And the Memphis Baptist Hospital is actually not receiving it, uh, did not actually receive it until yesterday on Thursday. So uh, just a you know really good thing. You know, DeSoto County, of course, has been uh, high compared to other parts of Mississippi. They saw the need for it, and so all of the uh, the vaccine arrived and was starting to be administered on Monday uh, in DeSoto County. So, you know, great news and, and the fact that it's already here, already hopefully working, uh, and allow those healthcare workers to continue and to not miss a, a day to be able to treat others uh, that are coming in for the uh, for the virus. That leads us to, I guess, news about COVID. Uh, the new protocols that have been gone into place according to CDC that have been adopted by the schools, by the Soto County schools, that it has started, but actually, you know, with school ending uh, today, it probably will not go and, you know, it really won't affect the schools until next uh, next year uh, when they return back in the first week of January. But uh, the new protocols, under the new protocols, a quarantine can now end after day 10 without testing and if no symptoms related to the coronavirus have been reported. The other option is if, if testing is available, a quarantine can end after seven days uh, if an RT-PCR test comes back negative and there are no COVID-19 related sim- symptoms. Uh, a RT-PCR test detected viruses genetic material and it's different from the antigen test. So this is not an antigen test. Uh, this is actually testing the virus genetic material, uh, and it will detect specific proteins on the surface of the virus. The test must be done, and this is important, within 48 hours before the quarantine was to end. And the quarantine still must go through at least seven days. Uh, so again, 10 days if you just want to do a natural quarantine. If you're trying to get something done earlier, get back to work, get back into school, maybe get back to play a sport, you are allowed to test 
You're not really testing out of it. You still can't test out of it, but you can shorten your quarantine by three days, which could be huge for people, again, trying to get back to a basketball game, a soccer game, or in the spring, baseball or softball. So, again, these new protocols are are recommended by the CDC, have now been adopted by uh, DeSoto County Schools, and, you know, basically for all intents and purposes will go into effect the first week of January when they're back in class. And that could get even shorter. I mean, that could, as we learn each and every week, every every month we learn more about the virus, that could maybe even get a, a little bit shorter. I mean, Derek, you and I know of children that have been quarantined for 14 days uh, this, uh, this fall semester um, and never showed signs of anything. So, very interesting. I, I kind of like where, where we're headed in that. Great job by the CDC and, and looking forward to the, the spring semester. Um, I didn't even think about that from a sports standpoint, so that makes a lot of difference. All right, and then the final thing we want to kind of do, sticking on the COVID um, topic, uh, Mississippi, you know, we as I said, we received it on Monday. Uh, Baptist Soto received theirs, started getting their vaccinations. Uh, Mississippi as a whole is expected to get about 25,000 doses uh, that were sent for that first batch that came in. If the, the Moderna vaccine is approved, the state could get a total of 130,000 doses before the end of the year. So now Moderna uh, has been approved. Uh, it looks like that the Mississippi should get around 130,000 doses before December 31st. If that comes true, which it looks like it will, that is enough to vaccinate 4.4% of the state population. The state has approximately 120,000 healthcare workers and 35,000 nursing home residents and workers, and the number of doses expected in December is not enough to give all of those a single dose. So it's about 155 of those considered first in line. We're getting about 130, so we're about 25,000 short. The vaccine requires a follow-up booster, of course, in about three or four weeks after the first shot. So we're going to be a little short in getting that first line. And the way that they're looking to do this now is the first line will be the healthcare workers and the nursing home residents. So we're about 25,000 short through the end of the year right now. Once those that 25 comes in, they can get there all the first rounds of shot. The second line are going to receive it are essential workers, which you can put on, you can, yeah. I guess, name what an essential worker is, teachers and first responders. And you're looking in Mississippi at 120,000 essential workers. I'm, I'm assuming that's like highway workers, people like that. They need to keep things going. Probably policemen. Firemen, truck drivers, uh, EMTs, etc. Yeah, and EMTs may be included in the healthcare worker. I'm not sure about that. Teachers, 83,000 teachers, uh, and then 38,000 uh, first responders. There you go. So those will be the next in line. So that's about another 230,000 that will be needed. So again, it's going to be a ramp up. It's getting there. We're very close to getting that first in line taken care of by the end of the year, but it's going to take some time. You're looking at maybe two to three months before it starts to get the third in line, and the third in line will be those with pre-existing conditions. There's a million Mississippians of the four million with pre-existing conditions, so it it, it may be a while before it gets to you and me. And, and as it should be, I mean, Derek. I mean, the people that are most vulnerable—that's the people that if, if they're if they want the vaccine and and they want to get in line and, and get that—that's absolutely kind of the way it should be. So we were we had a little bit of youth last night at the church, and we were talking about with our small group leaders some different things in 2021. And, and I just kept you know kind of mentioning uh, feeling like we have good momentum going into 2021, vaccine-related, health-related, Derek. You and I both know people continue to perish from the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, our hearts go out to, to them. Uh, I've seen a number of different things in DeSoto County on Facebook in the last few days. Uh, certainly uh, sad for those uh, as, as well. But as a society and a state, I feel like we have momentum. And, and look, all you can do is keep punching at this thing, and that's what we're doing. So can't wait for 2021 to, to really be you know the relief or the, the totally different from 2020 is what I'm hoping. The last thing we want to talk about before we go to the interview that Matt had with Greg Drumwright and Ed easily uh, is uh, something that Governor Reeves put out uh, on Wednesday. He asked for Sunday 
uh, he declared, along with a pastor from across the state, to declare Sunday, December 20th, as a voluntary day of prayer, humility, and fasting. Basically came in, a lot of the pastors had come together. Governor Reese says is he's signing a proclamation to declare a day of prayer, humility, and fasting on Sunday, December 20th. We've done, as we've done throughout the history of this country, we will go to the Lord and ask for his protective hand over us as we enter 2021. And so, of course, 2020 has been a, a, a rough year uh, and many different fronts. Uh, but, of course, uh, just talking about coming out of the COVID conversation, obviously, what Matt said about the losses that we've had here, uh, just the loss of jobs, uh, the loss of uh, income, the loss of not being able to see families, uh, losing family members. It's just been a bad year. And so, you know, this a day of prayer uh, for the whole state uh, on Sunday when you go to church, just, you know, don't eat breakfast. Uh, maybe just spend it in, in a prayer time. Uh, enjoy. And I know our church is doing a cantata this Sunday. So really can enjoy the, uh, just a beautiful music, beautiful message, talking about Advent if, if that's a part of your religion, and just going through those things, but also and just taking time in all this busy season to set it aside Sunday just to pray and contemplate and, and ask for that. So again, that's uh, it's, it's obviously voluntary, uh, but it's something that Governor Reese has asked us to do, uh, and so wanted to pass it along to our listeners. Derek, I mean, I think it speaks for itself. Good job by the governor to partner up with pastors to uh, call for that. Uh, as Mississippians, Derek, I mean, like you said, 2020 has been a, just an amazing year in our world, in our state, uh, country, et cetera. But UTW listeners can probably figure out, Derek, that uh, we serve a higher power. Uh, you and I do. Uh, we certainly believe that. When it's all said and done, if, if we're focused on that, we're going to be okay. So that's all we have. And now what we have coming up in, in Lewis sports, uh, we apologize to all the teams that played. Uh, this week, uh, not being able to get – I did have some stats, but with the show already running about 40 minutes, uh, we've got a really good interview coming up. Uh, Matt sat down uh, earlier this week with Greg Drumright and Ed Easley uh, of the EBC uh, Baseball and wanted to kind of talk with them about something that came out from the last Planning Commission meeting uh, back on December 8th. Uh, if you remember that the Planning Commission tabled their field house that was to go at Green Tea and McInvale uh, to be able to do that. So as soon as we heard that, uh, that was tabled, uh, we had somebody reach out to us and say, hey, look, uh, these guys may be good to talk to to kind of get their side of the story. And so that's what we did. We reached out. They jumped at the chance to come on. We really do appreciate them coming on. And so we will go to that interview now. Glad to be joined this morning by Greg Drumright, uh, owner of Green King Spray Service in Olive Branch. Greg's a local businessman and, and has a project that we're going to discuss here in just a little while uh, in Hernando, or hopefully in Hernando, coming up pretty soon. Uh, also joined by Ed Easley. Ed is a former major leaguer and owner currently of the Ed Easley Baseball Club, EBC. A lot of you might see the stickers on different cars and stuff like that all around, and, and a lot of baseball parents are familiar certainly with EBC and the success over the last uh, several years here in DeSoto County. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for coming in and visiting with us. Uh, we, we had a nice time off air this morning just talking about different things and kind of learning about each other and stuff. Greg, uh, we'll start with you real quick. Like I said, local businessman. How long has Green King been in, been in the business? We started in 2000, so this is our 20th wow. year. 20 years, okay. Uh, Green King, very popular here in DeSoto County, been kind of all around. You see the trucks. I actually saw one this morning whenever I was coming in. What, what a lot of uh, listeners don't know, podcast listeners may not know, is Greg is heavily involved in uh, youth sports. Greg's heavily involved in youth basketball, especially uh, with his two sons that play basketball. Greg's also the owner of something called the Courtroom or courtroom basketball, not the courtroom, but courtroom basketball. Greg, tell us about it. Uh, courtroom basketball is a uh – is where you bring in retired basketball courts. Uh, I currently own uh, the Baylor Bears old court, USC's old court. I have the Washington Mystics, which is a WNBA team's court. 
and I have University of Memphis's court that they played on last year, the blue one. I currently own those, and so it would be a great place for me to put those down and allow kids to play on Clemson's goals, North Carolina's goals. And I actually have a contact in North Carolina that has a brokerage that sells retired courts uh, from universities and, and from anything from Division two schools all the way up to uh, I mean, NBA courts and goals that were in the bubble as recently as this summer. Yeah. So listeners, uh, most podcast listeners uh, may not know courts are assembled and you can take them apart. They're like uh, a big puzzle. Yeah, they're like a big puzzle. I mean, if you think about it, uh, NBA can play a game at noon and a hockey team play a game the very next day uh, in the same arena. So pretty neat situation there where you've been able to get some of those courts and have them. And currently right now, they're and we'll talk more about the Fieldhouse Project in a little while, but those are just sitting still right now, sitting in storage, waiting for a place to, a place to go. Yeah, I'm currently playing rent on storing all four of those courts. Okay. And so it's uh, it's a pretty good financial burden. Sure. You have to pick them up when you can, no matter where you are in the project. You don't want to let that one pass by. Oh, I, I understand that. And Ed, former uh, DeSoto County, I mean, well, currently, again, a DeSoto County resident, but been in DeSoto County, kind of born and raised all your life? I, I was, yep. I went to uh, Olive Branch High School, Mississippi State, and then drafted and played 10 years of pro ball, and here I am back in the hometown just trying to give back and very fortunate. Yeah, so I had an opportunity about 90 days ago to sit down with Darren Musselwhite. Uh, you may know the mayor, uh, Musselwhite. Uh, just a great interview. Thoroughly enjoyed visiting with him. Uh, but but he talked a little bit about his minor league time. Uh, and I gave him – we were joking about, hey, is how accurate is like a Bull Durham movie and stuff like that. And he said Bull Durham's probably the most accurate baseball when it comes to minor league baseball that he could describe. Would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I know Darren well. His son Ryan played for me the uh, last couple of years and a good athlete and somebody I look to continue helping with the process. But, yeah, back to the minor league movies, that's Bull Durham's right on. Would it be uh, – and, again, you played in the major leagues. Uh, obviously, in this area, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals are going to be the, the, the team, the major league team that's most popular, certainly with the Redbirds, a AAA affiliate right here in Memphis. So is it kind of the same way when it comes to – what's it like – well, first, if you don't mind me asking you some questions, I mean, you know, um, to get the call. I mean, that's what it's called. You know, when you got the call, say, hey, man, we're going to catch the next flight or whatever. What type of situation? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, no doubt. So you, you grow up as a young child having the dreams of playing pro ball and playing Major League Baseball for so long. And, and after college, I had an opportunity to go play pro ball. And, and you think in your head that it's going to be the major leagues right out the gate. But as you continue to get older and you realize the process, it was nine years of minor league baseball for me before I got the call. And so it was, it was special. It was a, a long time coming. You know, I, I got the call. I was on the road in Fresno, California, playing with the Memphis Redbirds, actually, and hit, hit a flight the next morning and went to St. Louis. And, yeah, special time. Oh, absolutely. I can only imagine, uh, you know, kind of what, that, what that's like to um, just be on a bus or, or getting ready for a certain game or whatever. And, then, you know, they, they tell you, hey, go ahead and take the uniform off. you got something else to do. That's just got to be an amazing opportunity. And you really are just kind of uh, a breath away from, from moving up to those different type situations. Crazy enough, in the coronavirus times and stuff like that, uh, what, what was it like – um, you may know you definitely have relationships with maybe some some guys still playing. Um, can you imagine what it was like being in the bubble and having? Didn't they have like some reserve players and stuff, they and did. they had to be sitting on jump? And I think they would actually sit in the stadium sometimes. They were part of the the crowd yeah, if they no could doubt. have one. 
And so I got a I got a handful of players that are still currently playing in the major leagues, and and with my business currently, you know, I think a lot of people were sitting back, kind of waiting to see what major league baseball was going to do, and then it was going to kind of be a trickle down effect of what they were going to allow us to do around here locally. And so I would just kind of keep in touch with some of these guys, the the Stephen Piscottis, the Paul Goldsmiths, the Randall Grichuks, the Greg Garcias, some of these names that I played with in St. Louis organization or Arizona. Uh, but for the most part, it was just a waiting game. But uh, once they got the go-ahead, then again, it, like I mentioned, it, it kind of gave everybody the a few steps below them, minor leagues, college baseball, and then youth baseball to go ahead. So uh, it was an interesting time, early spring, just kind of sitting around waiting. And then once we did get going in, in late April, early, early May, it ended up being the busiest year of all just because people were so anxious to get back outside and play some ball. Right, no doubt. You had parents that were ready to go and kind of sitting on jump and everything like that, and you wanted to do stuff. Baseball is kind of a perfect sport for that. It's already socially distanced, per se, but um, it's, it's kind of the perfect outside sport for, for that type thing. I'm sorry to keep asking Major League questions and oh, stuff, you know, Greg. Greg. Hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> Greg's checking his phone over there. He's ready. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, in the movie, he jokes around about, you, you, you know, you take – batting practice with white baseballs and that type stuff and everything like that is that kind of I mean is that what it's like is it as a baseball player somebody looks up as a kid do you look up and say man this this might just be heaven for a while how long could it last I don't know but it's amazing time in the major leagues absolutely it's heaven but what most people don't realize is the the grind of the minor leagues and the white baseballs that aren't available and the hotel stays that you're at and the the bus rides and and the pre and post game meals that maybe aren't so so good but again it's all worth it at the end of end of the career once you sit back and you see what you're able to do the the relationships you were able to experience because once you get that call and once you experience it it's everything that people would think it is right it's the major leagues there may be players that you play with or against that you look up in the minor leagues and just think man that guy like he may be the best player i've ever played against and he's here and he's been here for a long time again you're one issue away we joked off air uh, that I played against Andy Canizero in high school numerous times and played in AAA for the Yankees for years well that's because number two Derek Jeter was was the starter yeah. you know that type of situation I mean that, that just shows you right there this guy who we really have faith in and we know is good how do I keep him playing hard and, and having the opportunity to get a, a ton of uh, experience number two is playing ahead of him yeah no doubt similar situation um, with with my career drafted in the first round by Arizona and at the time they had an all-star catcher uh, Miguel Montero and so I just had to wait my turn and, and ended up not ever being there I played several years in AAA with Arizona and then as most people are very familiar with with Yadier Molina in St. Louis but when I had the opportunity to, to sign with St. Louis and play in my hometown in Memphis and and eventually get to St. Louis there was no way I could turn that opportunity down I learned more from from Yadier Molina in the two years that I was with St. Louis than I learned throughout my whole career and so again those types of situations are priceless and yeah I made it to St. Louis and played with Yachty and behind Yachty but again to your point uh, the opportunities that sometimes may are never there because of the people that are in front of you. Hey Greg so you were talking we were talking off air a little bit about your your sons are playing now uh, with a, is it an AAU team? Is that it is it's called? it's called the Memphis Magic or Adonis Magic. Adonis Thomas is their uh, sponsor into the uh, AAU world. He uh Still playing overseas, but uh, he was the University of Memphis uh, standout. And uh, how old are your kids? Hayden, who is who turned sixteen this week, and then I got Logan, 
who will turn 15 in January. So they're 13 months apart. I got a freshman and a sophomore at Lewisburg High School. Wow, they get along pretty well or battle each other? Really good. They're, oh, man. They're, they're the best of friends. Uh, you know, you don't mess with one of them without messing with both of them kind of situation. And uh, both good kids. They both they both love the sport of basketball. Uh, you know, I don't know what what God has for them and the in their career path, uh, but I hope for them that they can that they can do whatever they love. And if it's basketball, then this will be a great opportunity for them to to continue a career into basketball. Maybe not playing, but definitely you know coaching or or just being around. Right. No, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I tell my son all the time, he plays soccer, he enjoys basketball, watches a lot of, we watch a lot of football and baseball and sports together. And I joke with him about, you know, maybe going into coaching one day or those type things. And there's been times I've sat down with him and looked at like Nick Saban's, um, you know, coaching resume and say, hey man, it didn't start there. Correct. It didn't start at Ole Miss and Alabama and LSU. We didn't get there. Uh, they started out as a GA and, and then maybe they, found a little bit of a niche or started to kind of understand a certain way the wide receivers did something or the linebackers or whatever you know you gotta always it, there's a grind like Ed was talking about there's such a grind that people forget about they just it's see all the, about relationships that's it all about relationships and and they just see the uh the bright lights and the big contracts and stuff like that and and now we could we would all probably agree there's some coaches that are probably a handshake away from being a middle school uh science teacher um, <laughs> but we won't need to name any of those let's circle back real quick um again here with Ed easily the owner of EBC uh, again, all, a lot of people see the different um, stickers and stuff like that. A lot of your kids, a part of the organization that he he currently owns. EBC is Easley Baseball Club, but definitely don't want to forget. Uh, EBC also has a softball side. Softball is such a large sport in DeSoto County and in the Mid South, and so he is invested in that and really excited about the future and the growth there of the um, the softball program that he has. But they're here this morning. One of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is a project that they have planned currently moving dirt around in Hernando. Uh, listeners, if you can picture where Mackinville meets Green Tea on the north side of town, which really we've talked about on the show is going to be the f- the future northern entrance for Hernando. There's rumor of a certain uh, high school that may be moving out in that area in the next uh, five to ten years. Uh, we won't mention what high school that may be. You can kind of figure that out. I'll let somebody else tell you that. And then the Madison Lakes project that we've talked about uh, numerous times here uh, is going to be right next to this particular project. So if you come off of Mackinville, Mackinville and Green Tea, and you're car is facing south instead of turning right and going to the country club or going to mackinville and going into town you take a left you're going to go about 500 yards on the left hand side uh, you're going to see dirt work happening now. You're going to see a project being put together. Known to these two gentlemen as the Fieldhouse Project. We'll just call it that. that that's okay. The Fieldhouse Project. Greg, tell us about the Fieldhouse Project and what, first of all, how it came to, to, together. You know, you tell me a little bit about, but off air. So just sum up kind of how it came together, where we are, and kind of the concerns about the future. And I'll set you up more about that. Uh, I'll, I'll actually go a little bit further sure. back than what we talked about off air. Uh, when I went to uh, Roseville, California, I have a friend of mine who was coaching in the NBA at the time, and uh, there was a place out there called Hoop Palace. And Hoop Palace is a 19-court uh, uh, facility in a community very similar to Hernando. Uh, it's Roseville, California is a, a suburb of uh, Sacramento, has a lot of the same demographics, has a lot of the same – uh, availability of income just on a different scale. So when they had that 19 core facility and being a basketball dad and always looking to improve the experience of my kids and other kids, their friends. So I've connected with a broker. And so we started accumulating these basketball courts that are being retired. Uh, every time a team does real good in the NCAA tournament or 
an NBA team does real well or wants to rebrand, then they sell off their old courts through a broker. And I happen to know a broker in North Carolina from my connection in California. So I started accumulating those and wanted to build a facility. I had a piece of property under contract in South Haven because of the new zoning laws and uh, uh, all the handicap accessibility, ADA compliance. Uh, that property was going to cost more to bring it up to code than it would be to actually purchase the property. And so uh, that one night about this time two years ago, I had gone and, and realized that that property was just not going to fit the need for what we wanted to do with these courts. And so uh, I had gone to dinner, kind of come to the realization and told my real estate agent that I was probably going to have to back out of the contract. Had gone to dinner with some very good friends of ours, Tommy and Tammy Miller. Tammy is uh, currently, we affectionately call His her. His right-hand man. Yeah, right, right, exactly, <laughs> the boss. <laughs> and so, uh, so long story short, um, we went to dinner. I, I had just kind of sit there and was, you know, enjoying my Mexican meal. And Tammy said, hey... Ed is looking for a piece of property, probably 10 or 12 acres, to do a training facility. Currently, you know, he's renting all over Memphis and the Memphis Metroplex to try to get his kids in to have training. And we'd like to have a centralized place that's his. And so uh, I went home that night and kind of prayed about it. And then the next morning, I called Tammy and said, hey... Uh, why don't you see if you can set up a meeting with me and Ed? And uh, I think the, that very next week, Ed came to my house. I kind of laid out kind of what I thought would be a good idea. And uh, from there, it's evolved into what we have today, which is the field house. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got a great strength and conditioning guy that we'd like to bring in and put into that training facility there. So, you know, essentially not a one-stop shop, but uh, definitely a, a, a more than one stop place. And so we're going to post some things on, on Facebook, on our Facebook site. So you can, so y'all can see that kind of click through what the field house project looks like. Some very interesting things. If you have a, a, a son or daughter that plays baseball or softball in Hernando, uh, this seems to be, could be one heck of a good addition to the landscape of Hernando when it comes to the Soda County baseball, Hernando baseball, the high school. I know one thing that y'all talked about, at least I'd heard off air, the high school that we keep jo- that I was joking about moving closer to y'all would have access to this facility from what i've been told yes yes <laughs> okay <laughs> just making sure so so that's something that's uh, uh baseball is an outside game it's an outside game so you have weather you have things like that to d- uh, deal with so having indoor opportunities places to go and 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 get better at baseball and softball and and basketball each and every uh day or week uh, could i feel like be an amazing thing in hernando so we, the basketball side of it um i'm just assuming so Ed, when you showed up at greg's house did you walk out in the backyard and there were four old basketball courts and you were like hold up now this this, this isn't gonna work no that's what i was envisioning but they weren't there so he's told me a lot about them and i'm excited to see hopefully soon them laid out and and kids around this area playing ball on them but i haven't seen them yet Uh, my focus has kind of been the baseball side of things and softball side of things but you know i'll go ahead and hit on there's kind of three or four different visions that i have for for the baseball side and it's a pretty unique setup that we're we're trying to design with uh, not only full indoor space but adding an outdoor covered area for these times of year which again this year's a good example when when you're in uh, November, December, January, when, when sometimes the weather's good or you get a rainy day, you can still have access to work out. And so we, we'd have covered area, indoor area, and then potentially some fields out the back in, in the near future. But this facility, four things I think that's going to make it special is the home of my baseball club, number one. 
softball club number two being an area where the alumni from from DeSoto County the baseball players from from Hernando DeSoto Central Olive Branch Lewisburg South Haven all these schools around this area that I grew up playing against and that I currently have my players playing at have a place to come back and set up shop and have a locker room uh, one of the one of the special features Greg and I've kind of come together and and decided to do as a VIP room for the returning minor league players to come home and have a place to hang out and sit back in a lounge and watch TV and and get up and go to the batting cage and and so just a, some special features that that I know when I was playing that if I if I knew I could come home in the in the off season and have a home it would be special and it's going to attract a lot of people and then out of easily baseball uh, alumni baseball providing opportunities for birthday parties and other sports to rent to use for soccer practice or volleyball practice or cheerleading practice those are the things i think that this type of project could could be very beneficial for the community in all fair we were discussing one of the things that the sports consultants at the city of hernando hired four or five months ago to come down and give their opinion they gave that opinion about 90 days ago one of the top three things was a multi-purpose facility with basketball courts an area for uh, you know cheerleading tumbling all that kind of stuff should they need it an area for for weightlifting, those type of things. Now, this facility is not necessarily a situation like that. I mean, that, that type of facility is owned by the city of Fernando. It's the city of Fernando residents can can pay for membership for the gym and all that kind of stuff. This facility is not necessarily like that, but it's definitely going to have opportunities for the city of Fernando possibly to you know have opportunities for some basketball there, those type of things. It really can be something that can be a part of the public interest, but certainly a part of uh, the Hernando community for the next 20, 25, 30 years. From what it sees like, and again, we're going to, or what it seems like, we're going to post this stuff on Facebook, some plans, uh, those type things. Uh, so last Tuesday, uh, this came up to the Planning Commission in Hernando. Uh, I want to say the Planning Commission's about seven give or take seven people i believe it's seven has the same number of wards i think uh so tell me about what uh how that meeting went and and i think it was shelved for the next 30 days it was shelved until january can you give me an update on maybe why that is well one of the biggest concerns i think that the city of hernando's leadership has is our parking capacity this this project has not gone into we didn't go into it flippantly we're more than wanting to be a part of the hernando landscape we would like to be part of We'd almost like to be a flagship or, or a bright place for Hernando residents and residents outside of Hernando to, to have a good impression of Hernando. You know, a lot of the kids who will play basketball may not be from Hernando, but hopefully their parents, while they're at practice, will eat at restaurants and buy fuel, you know, shop and grocery shop at Hernando places. So one of the things that they're concerned about is the parking capacity. From my understanding of the C2 zoning, which is what we were told we needed to be, it's one parking spot per 100 square feet. Well, we currently, under the design we have now, is 63,000 square feet under roof. So that would be 630 parking spots. That would be an additional million dollars to our project, in which we're already over budget on our project. But... Uh, Ed and I both have kind of committed to that this is going to be something that will be will change the sports landscape in our area not necessarily uh, immediately but over time you know Hernando will be known as the place to if they would like to you know lease a property lease part of our gym to to run a basketball league uh, we'll be more than happy to accommodate that 
uh, a big part of this obstacle we have is the parking spaces. One of the things that they table for 30 days was to gather more research. And so I kind of took it upon myself to try to help with that. I went around to different places. Uh, there's a strength and conditioning place that my children go to, ELP and Kyrieville. They have seven parking spots. I stopped by Batter's Box and they have 48 parking spots. And that's a 20,000 square foot facility with a complete outdoor baseball field, very similar to what we're doing for the baseball side. Um, the closest multi-court facility to Hernando, Mississippi is a place in Jackson, Mississippi. It's called MBA. Uh, it's a five-court facility, so one more than us. And so I Google Earth and counted one by one. Uh, there is 70, 72 parking spots, uh, I believe. Doolin Dodgers old place out in Cordova. Well, yeah, that's game day. The the baseball outdoor complex they kind of share a parking spot, parking lot. Uh, but but I'd say no more than a hundred or so between the two facilities. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a forty thousand square foot indoor training facility that used to be occupied by the Doolin Dodgers, but now it's currently occupied by Memphis Pride Cheer, and my my baseball club's currently in there. Yeah. So. And I think they have 112, 114 parking spots. So I don't think that our asking for 180 is – I don't think it would we would be an, uh, a negative impact on the community. And, and from my perspective, I want parking. I want places for people to park. I, if, I, if it became a problem or something that we needed to address, it would be a, a very top priority of us to, to put down some more asphalt and have more parking so that, you know, we would be able to – accommodate our clients you know last thing i want is for somebody not to find a place to park and leave well yeah well i think the last thing we all want in our businesses is you know a mom to not not be able to park and then then put it on facebook and affects everything it's amazing how much we change our businesses based off of uh facebook posts and 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 stuff like that so parking is is the issue that's why it was shelved last tuesday night for the planning commission uh and we're going to go back they didn't say no they just said see after the holidays that's right. what they said. Are you currently looking at that project? Are you currently working on the project to see about some parking now? And and, and, and like you said, 600-something parking spots, it's almost impossible. Like I said, yeah. it's very expensive, et cetera. So is there something? Are you kind of willing to possibly – add more at this time to appease them or can we kind of can we come to some kind of agreement as a feel like do you feel like you're gonna are you willing to be flexible there well let me give you a little backstory. sure go ahead so you know we kind of done like our uh, our own in-house you know nobody knows more what ed easley is going to need than ed easley sure so uh my wife and his uh ceo right. uh, tammy have been on the communications about how many parking spots they're currently using at the facilities that they're renting. Um, you know, uh, where where's that place that in Arlington? What's the name of that place? The Yard. Yeah, so currently we, we're able to calculate how many parking spaces they're using at the Yard and, and then trying to add it to the number of parking spaces that they're currently using at basketball facilities that my kids are playing at. And we're... We're coming up with about 110 parking spots. We, we've had long conversations over the period of this planning project, which has been about a year, about the parking and the parking lot design. And so we've actually, we feel like 180 is more than they're at, what we would think we're really ever going to need. And the last thing we want to do is sink a million dollars into some parking through dirt work and asphalt that we're never going to use 
and it's going to create a more of a negative impact than it would be the positive impact right. of having plenty of parking space. Do they simply go to the book? Let's just call it. Do they go to the book of codes and say your your under roof square foot is X, and you should, you're supposed to have this amount of things? So they didn't necessarily. Um, we talk about sometimes and, common and, and sense. And that's kind the of, point of the variance. I mean, right. I, I, I'm 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 aware of the situation. One of the things that that we would like is to get some resolution so that we can move forward sure. with the project because. Like I said before, we've been at this for almost a year, and I mean we have a lot of lot of money tied up. I have a lot of money tied up in sport and sports floor storage. You know, if if we can't seem to get things going, there's other opportunities that we can capitalize on. There's a lot of places that would love to have something like this that's privately funded, but will benefit the public and benefit the city greatly through the commerce of either eating or shopping. You know, I mean, I, I think it's an opportunity and not to mention a great place to get kids off the street if they want to practice and join a team. I do agree. I mean, Derek and I, when we were visiting last week about the planning commission, uh, we've we've learned a little bit more about the project in the last week. And, and so we wanted you guys to come on and, and talk a little bit about what's going on and, and the project and kind of what the snag seems to be. Uh, not to necessarily – we just want to give facts, give opinions. Right. Not, I'm sorry, we want to give – the story of, of, of kind of what's going on. Is there concern from what I can tell or what I've been told? You say you're not going to have a tournament, but we can't, you may have one. And then that just, that affects the price uh, the parking and stuff like that. Is that kind of what they, they're worried about well, it? Or it seems I, like, I think they're worried about the expanding over into the public roadways with a park. That's one of the reasons we went to this place and, and counted the number of parking spots in Jackson, Mississippi uh, it's actually a bigger facility than what the courtroom side will be using. And so when I counted their parking spaces and came up with 70 or 71, it's, I, I wrote it down. You know, if we're being honest, they probably need about 30 or 40 more uh, because they park on in a gravel area. So if you took a court facility that was five courts and you gave 100 parking spots, that would be 20 per parking spot, I mean per court parking spots so with us having four i feel like 80 would be ample basketball tournaments especially out of town teams and we discussed this off air it's a van rental business you know the team comes in they've got 15 kids on one team and so they'll ride in a van they'll come in they'll play and if 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 any parents come at all it's usually a very limited few that travel on their own uh I, i'm not as worried about especially the tournaments that, that my kids play in i'm not as much worried about the parking for that as i would be if hernando decided to do their recreational department sure. through the field house which we would love to do and partner with you know that would be the highest occupancy we would have but those are also the lowest occupancy that ed would have because of our businesses and how they fluctuate at different sure. times. Yeah. I know Ed would hope to be playing baseball out of town or training out of town, uh, you know, with his teams when on the weekends, which is normally when most recreational basketball happens. I, I do a little bit of commercial real estate. I have some people that I'm good friends with that are, are working on curtain currently working on projects and stuff with the city of Fernando uh, here in town. The last year of working with the city, your architect and engineering firm, AERC, is resides here in Hernando, Doug Thornton, the architect right here in Hernando. So uh, using a Hernando company, trying to get this put in Hernando, has it been a lot of, has it been more hoops than you thought they were going to be? Oh, it always is. You know, sure. and I, I've got some background in developing some subdivisions and stuff around uh, DeSoto County and, and, and there's nothing that you can't 
overcome. But if I don't know all the rules and sure. stuff, it, sometimes it's hard. And different cities are different. But Hernando, for the most part, you know, we we just want to be a part of the community. Uh, I live – my address is actually in uh, Hernando, but I li- my kids go to Lewisburg. So, you know, this is right around the corner from me. So I'm a little bit selfish in the fact that – I really don't want to put this in Fayette County. I don't really want to put this in South Haven, Olive Branch. And it's not that those cities are not great cities to host it. It's just that from a personal standpoint, being six miles from my home would be a lot better than where we currently practice basketball, which is at Jackson Avenue and 240. You know, it's a 40-minute ride. Yeah. So you're traveling a lot to practice basketball. Ed, you're traveling uh, all the way to Arlington. You're traveling to Collierville, Cordova, and sometimes even Millington to host all your groups together at the USA Stadium up there, right? That's right. Yeah, we've talked about, like I mentioned earlier, adding some fields out the back door that would allow us to do all those things that we've talked about, hosting tryouts and and showcases. But back to the parking spaces and how our businesses would uh, would go along with each other is mine's the busiest. I say wouldn't say busiest, but during the week we're doing private instruction or clinics or group lessons or stuff like that. That at most you're five or ten people at a time on the weekends let's just say before the season starts there's two teams practicing at one time of 12 players per team 24 players you know at the most with some private instruction going on at the same time there's 30 cars uh, on a heavy day on a weekend and then you add the, the the basketball tournament potential parking spaces and so I just think that that when we would use it compared to when basketball would use it, it would just work nice together. And then not to mention, uh, from a baseball and softball standpoint, a majority of the people that are 11th and 12th graders are the ones driving their own car. So 10th grade and down, 15 years old and down, they're being dropped off by mom and dad um, for practice uh, most times and stuff. Now, there may be maybe some dads or moms that may hang out and know more than the coach, but that's a whole other podcast that we can talk about. But look, it's just a very interesting and neat project. Uh, Derek and I have taken an interest in, especially in the last week we had a a friend of ours reach out to us and say hey man uh, this kind of got shelved at the planning commission can y'all talk more about it learn more about it and so that's why we've jumped in and, and wanted to get with you guys and y'all reacted pretty quickly we feel like we have a number of, of listeners especially in hernando that uh, may not know anything about it but uh, would probably benefit from it i know i talked to three parents of ebc baseball players over the weekend and every one of them were like oh my gosh we need this project now it may be because of their gas bill well um, <laughs> you know and and Back to the point of, you know, currently Ed is leasing space in other cities. Why couldn't he lease or use his own space and bring his baseball players' families' dollars to Hernando's shop? There's a lot of great partnerships here that we we could actually advertise and help to get people to the square with the new walking trail that goes down McInvale. It'd be a great opportunity for people to exercise while their kids are getting lessons or doing whatever. You know, it's just so many great opportunities there. And, and I hope that this is just the beginning of the Fieldhouse's impact and footprint on DeSoto County sports. You know, uh, one of the things that I kind of went to our architect with is, hey, let's build a building that is capable of being expanded. Now, we've got 20 acres out there, and currently we're using about, what would you say, Ed, 12 to 14? If that. So we have an opportunity there to expand into other businesses that might need rent space. If a a competitive cheer team needed a place or wanted to be close, we would be more than willing to talk to that person about building him a building and maybe putting in a lease program. 
uh, a competitive soccer team, indoor facility. You know, uh, this facility is going to be used by a lot of the community outside of EBC and outside of courtroom, you know, uh, simply because, man, every AAU team in this area is looking for practice space. Sure. Uh, that's one thing I noticed about the property we had in, in South Haven was our calendar was full to the point where we had people waiting for just practice space. And I, I understand with the COVID and everything else, the liability that other places are taking on by allowing teams to practice in their facilities. Uh, so that's one of the great things about this facility is it'll be managed properly. It'll be disinfected properly. And it'll be a great place that you will feel comfortable dropping off your son or daughter to play basketball or to get a lesson to either in softball or baseball or even strength and conditioning. You know, there's a lot of great opportunities here that honestly, we just have to make a decision and move on. Because like you said, you have opportunities maybe to build the field house elsewhere. Um, that is a reality. Rent space, all that kind of stuff, that, that, that meter's running for you guys as well. This, uh, is, our, this is our number one pick. You yeah. know, it, we, we really want to be in Hernando. The logistically being all right off of 269 will draw a lot of Eds players out of Kyrville, Arlington, Rosemark, you know, the kids out of the Delta to, that play for Ed, Grenada, Memphis. With its proximity to where it is, it'll be a – it's a slam dunk. Something I want to add to that's very important is, is, is we're talking a lot about Easley Baseball and Easley Softball Club, but – but I want the people to know that's listening that can be supporters of this is this is a this is a facility for the community as well as for easily softball and easily baseball. What we can do is provide the instruction, which has set my, my club apart from some of the others, the coaches, the, the guys that's come back from playing college ball and pro ball that are coaching these kids around town. Now we'll set the facility up with the with the coaching and instruction. But we want to be open arms for kids in the area to be able to come, whether you play for easily baseball or easily softball or not. And that's what I want people to realize and be excited about. Yeah, it's, it's a community project. It's a community opportunity. Uh, just because you don't play for EBC doesn't mean you can't have an opportunity to uh, practice there uh, with, when it rains and those type things. So it's just not for your club. You would, you would just simply happen to be the main tenant to, to get things started, you know, which as a commercial, when it comes to commercial space, uh, if you can build a project and already have a tenant, I mean, that makes total sense. That's a, that's a good deal. The next step, real quick, the next step is going to be the Planning Commission meeting in January. Correct. Okay, and that's going to be. I mean, you guys will obviously be on that. I'm assuming, of course, be on that. Be be in the forefront, ready to uh, discuss the future or what that can hold. So, do you in the next 30 days? Do they tell you? Did they give you? Hey, here's what we want. Here's what's required. Did they tell you to get the 600 parking spots? No, no, no. They're yeah. willing. I mean, and, and honestly, uh, I've had a good conversation. Okay, good. Uh, with everybody that's involved. Uh, I've kind of let Doug, our architect, kind of be the point on that just because he's had the relationship with Hernando. I mean, everybody we've dealt with has been very accommodating. You know, we just kind of – it just kind of needs to – we just need to make a decision so we can go forward. You know, obviously 300 parking spots is going to put us out of our budget. And my thought is, you know, this project could be such a great thing for the community if we get to where we need more parking spots – I mentioned before we have designed the building to where it can be expanded. That would be a great time to do that, you know, because I would like to have a facility that would allow us to be able to host the highest level three-stripe Adidas tournaments, which would be great for our community. I know Ed would like to host uh, abilities of some showcases for baseball tournaments for schools, that kids that might be interested in going and playing at the next level past high school. 
So, uh, you know, we, we don't want it to be an eyesore and we don't want it to be a black eye for us personally. And that's one of the reasons we spent so much money and took so much time in developing the project. Well, I mean, again, I, I like the project. And, and listeners, Madison Lakes, right uh, just close to this project, uh, is, is scheduled to have a couple of hotels right there behind Hernando Hills Elementary. Is uh, possibly going to be more hotels. So the Madison Lakes project that's going to happen over the next decade and be the real northern entrance of Hernando right off McInville, y'all's facility would be really close by so it's an opportunity i mean that's all the all the things that we keep i think all three of us keep discussing we've been to the murfreesboro's and the nashville's and the the places where the the hotels right close to the soccer complexes and those type things and this is sort of similar to that and we're not even talking about you know weekly tournaments all that we're not even saying that this is really a, a place for instruction first of all first and foremost it's a place for instruction and like you said you'll be flexible as years to come with expansion those type things i guess it would make total sense if you expand it in a certain way to understand hey we'll gladly add more parking at that time right but we need to you guys need to have an arrow pointing in the direction of all right let's go we're a fan of it Derek and i are uh we're a fan of anybody wanting to invest in hernando i think y'all have done a good job there designing a neat project that most people are going to benefit from uh, like you were saying ed the opportunity for other baseball teams you know to not be uh, deterred by it being ebc and uh, uh the softball uh, part of that uh, program with you to be the main tenant don't be it's not like other people can't come in and use the facility and other sports you know yeah, exactly uh, he kind of touched on it a little bit you know the covered area he has on his side uh that's outdoors would be almost ideal for an indoor soccer team to have a place to practice you know uh, we're not wanting to hold it all for us. I mean, if there's somebody who wants to rent some space, we're that's what we're going to be about. And if we're as we're wrapping up, give me sum up your vision for. I mean, where where do you think this project uh, 10, 15 years from now? Where would you love for this project to be? And uh, that'll kind of wrap us up. Yeah. So the 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 kids that are playing in my program and the other programs around town that are eight, nine, ten years old that are having the ability to learn from from uh, our instructors and play for our teams and be able to go to college, have a good experience, go to pro ball hopefully, and then be able to come back and give back to the, the next generation of kids. I think that's what Greg and I talk about is just, just having a place to give back. We're fortunate to do what we do, and now it's time to give back to the community. Yeah, so an opportunity, a place for kids to be able to play baseball, basketball, like you said, cheer, indoor soccer, those type things. A facility that can be a, a part of the community and invest in these kids for years to come. That's that's the goal for both of you guys from what I can tell. Well, guys, I appreciate y'all coming in and visiting with me and talk to, uh, talking more to me about the, the project. Again, it's going we, we call it the Fieldhouse Project. That's great. Um, I'm assuming uh, maybe one day it'll be the UTW podcast Fieldhouse. I don't know. There I don't know. Go. It could there be a little expensive. Go. could be a little expensive, but uh, we really do appreciate you guys coming up. We wish you luck in January. I uh, want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas to you and your families, and uh, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you for thank having you. us on. We want to thank, again, uh, Greg Drumright and Ed Easley for coming on. Just a great interview. Uh, we really appreciate uh, just the vision that you have for that project. We appreciate uh, everything, you know, wanting to put it in Hernando, to invest in Hernando, and to allow just uh, uh, make it an attraction for all over. Hernando, uh, of course, I don't think anybody, this will come as a surprise to anybody. We are a little behind the other cities uh, in the parks and, and being able to do things. And we're a little behind the cities and being all for uh, types of entertainment. And this is just absolutely fantastic, uh, something that's going to be great for the community. Matt and I discussed last time, uh, I mean, last week about, hey, you know, all the things that could be built around this. 
that could bring that could come to Hernando. So again, thank you guys for your vision. Thank you for trying to get this done, and we look forward to see where the project goes. Yeah, Derek, it's private money. People putting their own money into the city of Hernando, putting their own money into a situation that could bring people uh, certainly from all over Hernando and our twenty thousand residents all over DeSoto County and our two hundred thousand residents. But there, there's opportunities in the mid south. There's opportunities for larger things to. Uh, to, to come right here to Hernando, Mississippi. If somebody comes from outside the area, they need to stay at a hotel. If somebody comes from outside the area and drops their kid off for a three-hour practice, they need somewhere to get gas, uh, go grab a cup of coffee, dinner, et cetera. So the the benefits to a place like this could be tremendous. Uh, I think it's we're <laughs> kind of making it no secret uh, what a fan we are of the project. So I had a thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed sitting down with those guys, and we look forward to keeping up with the Fieldhouse Project in the future. If you like what you're hearing each and every Tuesday and Friday morning with the UTW Podcast, find us on Facebook at UTW Podcast. That's UTW Podcast on Facebook. On Instagram, UTW Podcast. That's UTW Podcast with Instagram. And on Twitter, a little different, UTW Pod. That's UTW Pod on Twitter. Most importantly, wherever you hear our voice, wherever you get your podcasts, please like us, subscribe to us, review us on Apple Podcasts, anything you can do to help our show continue to grow uh, and be better each and every month. We certainly appreciate it. So just hit the subscribe button. Tell everyone you know all about our show. If your child is a member of the EBC or uh, I guess it would be ESC Softball Club, uh, please share this. Let others know. Let let your friends and family know what's going on uh, with Ed and his project to try and get something like this built right here in DeSoto County and, more importantly, right here in Hernando. So if you uh, like what you hear, share us with all your friends. Derek, if there's nothing else, I'm Matt. And I'm Derek. Join us next time under the water tower. Got no sleigh with reindeer. Old sack on my back. You're gonna see me coming in a big black Cadillac.